Awesome, guys. Well, thank you for joining us this morning for the first Sunday of the original Pyramid Scheme. Um, yeah, first service, I could barely speak when I first got up here, so I'm telling you now, we're doing much better right now than we were first first gathering. It was, uh, some would say, a hot mess. Um, it was a hot mess, um, but uh, I may, I'll probably cry right now, but uh, hopefully it won't be like, I mean, I was audibly so, uh, sobbing, so you don't, a grown man sobbing on stage is kind of, it's rough. Um, but I feel like I should say a few words uh, just to all of you. Um, when I was asked to preach this message, it was just funny that it kind of coincides with um, me stepping down from my position, and when I just think about uh, where I was when I first came to Village Heights, um, you know, I messaged Bill on Facebook, like, hey, my friend told me to reach out to you because I'm moving to Houston, and I hear you start you started a church, and you might need some help. I would love to help. And <laughs> I was so nervous to message Bill because his profile picture was like him making this goofy face holding a chicken. And I was like, like a live chicken. I was like, man, this guy is kind of weird. Like, am I sure <laughs> I want to get involved with these people? Um, but I am so thankful um, to God that he orchestrated my life in the way that he did to, to bring me um, here. Because this place has changed my life in so many ways. Um, I'll make it through. I'm going to push through. No sobbing. If I don't sob, we're doing good. Um, all of you have just impacted me um, in more ways than you'll ever know. And, and maybe this is your first or even second Sunday here with us today. Um, you've still impacted my life because everything these last eight years has been about is just you walking through those doors um, and hearing the message of Christ and, and your life being changed. Um, <laughs> what's so kind of emotional for me about that is like even this last song that we sing and this message is like the story of my uh, eight years um, holding on so tightly to Christ when it feels like your life is falling down around you and people who are supposed to be holding on with you decide to let go but you're still holding on um, and so if you don't get anything else out of today I just want to tell you that it is worth holding on um, because on the other side of all that pain, on the other side of all that growth, on the other side of all the stress and anxiety and everything that life tries to throw at you, um, the person that you will be when you emerge from that um, will be someone you never dreamed you could be um, in the best possible of ways. And so I want to encourage all of you um, in that this morning. And so... Yeah, so, wow, let's, I brought napkins, so let me take a second here, just in case, because I'd probably cry some more. This is probably too many napkins, but I just wanted to be sure that I had enough, because uh, I'm a, I'm a crybaby. I'm not like Bill, uh, where I lack the human emotional side to cry for people. Um, no, just kidding. Bill, I've seen Bill cry many times. He tries to deny it, uh, but he is a softie, just... Don't let him lie to you. Um, and so, yeah, this last eight years of, of Village Heights has been building a foundation from absolutely nothing. Um, and that is what 
this religion, this, this way of life that, that we've undertaken to be followers of Christ is all about, is to lay ourselves down to be a foundation so that other people can stand on our shoulders, as Pastor Bill said, and, and get closer to heaven. Um, and so, yeah, so pyramid schemes, like, I personally don't have any, like, direct experience with pyramid schemes. Um, maybe some of you in this room do, um, and if this offends you, it's my last Sunday, so, like, <laughs> there's, you got to probably take it up with uh, the staff. Don't take it up with me. Um, <laughs> but I just think it's so funny because, like, pyramid schemes is something that has touched everyone's life in some way. Like, my mom, for example, like everybody and their mom was in a pyramid scheme. Yeah, my mom was. She sold Avon when I was a kid, and I think everybody's mom did that in the 90s. Um, she never got the pink Cadillac, but, you know, she... She gave it a shot. She gave it a shot. Um, <laughs> but nowadays, like, it's, it feels like it's even more rampant, like, with social media especially. I'm sorry. If you've been a part of an MLM uh, business structure, you've probably been muted from my social media timelines, and I may or may not unmute you. I just need to know if you're done with all the crazy posts, with all the emojis, with inviting me to join your groups. I'm like, it's just like... Everyone talks about, like, fatigue. It's like, I've got MLM fatigue, right? Um, you know, you've got all the people selling their essential oils. They're selling their It Works and their, was it Young Living? Is that the one? Oh, and the leggings? Uh, I didn't know about the leggings. Uh, the leggings never got marketed to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, not, not, not their target market, I don't guess. Um, <laughs> But I was just thinking, like, why are MLMs so popular still? Like, The Office, for example, like, it's mainstream to make fun of MLMs, yet everybody's still doing it. Everybody's still buying their Young Living oils. Everyone's still buying, you know, that special serum that's going to make them look young, 10 years younger. And, you know, everyone's still buying the, the protein shakes and, and all the stuff, like, we're all guilty of participating in it, so, you know, we just have to accept that about ourselves. Um, but I think, honestly, the reason that they're so popular is because of their mission. Um, they're bold about their mission. They mean business. Like, they believe in what they're selling is going to change their life, and it's going to change your life. And so they are, annoyingly so, radical about it. Like, they believe in it. Um, and you know, I think we have a lot to learn from, <laughs> from them, to be honest, um, because I'm speaking from personal experience. I have been radically transformed by this guy named Jesus. And sometimes I'm still afraid to go and talk to people about him. Like if I can't talk to people about Jesus, but Mary Sue can go sell her Mary Kay to, you know, all of her neighbors, like, I kind of need to check myself a little bit, you know? I think, I think what's amazing about MLM salespeople is that they are willing to alienate all of their friends and family, everybody they've ever known, in order to sell their product. And it's like, man, sometimes I wonder, like, am I willing to, like, lose people because I want them to know Jesus? Um, 
but you know, I don't have a choice. We don't, we don't get that choice because the day that we decided to follow Jesus, um, the day that we decided to make him the Lord and Savior of our lives, we were given a mission. Um, we were given things to do. Um, you know, the Great Commission in, in Matthew, it tells us that we are called to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Um, and I think the key thing there is we're not called to make believers in Christ, but we're called to make people followers of Christ. Um, because, you know, John says, faith without works is dead. This this Christianity, this way is about doing something. It's about putting into action what you're saying with your mouth that you believe. And so what does it even look like to follow Christ? How does this even get explained? Well, Jesus kind of tells us um, in Mark 8, 34, what it means to follow him. He says this, um, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. And often, you know, I think we try to kind of fluff up our Christian. I say we, just the church in general. We try to make it seem like it's going to be this awesome, fun all the time time. You're going to just, you're going to never have any problems. You're never going to struggle with anything. You're going to have a full bank account all the time. If you just do X, Y, and Z, your life is going to be perfect. And, and just, it's not going to be perfect. Um, and especially because we also try to overlook the aspect of, of pain um, and suffering, and we've tried to build um, this weird ethics system that says that if you experience any amount of pain or any amount of suffering, then that thing has to be evil. Um, but Christ, when he tells us what it looks like to be a follower of him, um, he says right there that you're going to suffer and you're going to die. Um, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Um, and I don't know if you guys remember the story, but when Jesus took up his cross, it was to head up somewhere to be killed. So, like, he's promising us that we are going to die. Obviously, we're going to die, but we're going to need to die also spiritually and die to ourselves um, to to fulfill the mission that he's called us to do. You know, we often, we treat our faith as if it's nothing more than an entry ticket uh, to this plush new country club called heaven, um, you know, instead of what it truly is, an invitation to die. And the irony is you don't get heaven unless you die in the first place. So, um, yeah, I just think, I think we're so averse to, to, to the realities of life that we can often paint an unrealistic picture of, of what this faith looks like. Because I can tell you, I've experienced immense pain uh, being a follower of Christ and because of following Christ. But I've also experienced immense joy and blessing on the other side of that that makes all of that seem like it never even happened, isn't even important. Um, and I think that's Jesus giving us a little taste of heaven on earth um, when we go through those things and we overcome those things because, um, you know, we realize at the end of it, like, whoa, like, 
I am so much stronger now than I was before. Um, and that's the reason, because people are going to come along behind us and need to stand on our shoulders, uh, like I said before. And so, you know, Jesus is literally telling those who would follow him that they must stop living for themselves. And so for my fellow millennials in here, in the Tanner uh, Hollier translation of the scripture, he says that you must stop living your truth. How many of you guys have heard that one? I hear it all the stinking time. It's everywhere. Oh, just live your truth. Oh, it's okay. That's your truth. That's my truth. What does that even mean? That's not, it's, it's a oxymoronic. There is no your truth. There's your perspective. There's your opinion. There are factual things that have happened to you in your life, and there's ways that you've dealt with those things, but that doesn't make them the truth. The truth is something that transcends you and me. The truth is, you know, as early Christians call it, transcendental. It is higher. It is an ultimate real thing. Um, and I think this is why Jesus tells us that he is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life, because we've been trying to go about everything on our own will and our own power. And look at the mess we've made. Look around. Turn on the news. Turn, go on social media. This is what it looks like when we try to do things with our truth, with our way of doing things, without consulting Christ first, without making him the cornerstone of our lives. This is what we get. Um, but what we get when we build him as the cornerstone of our lives is when the rain comes and the waves come, you will be standing. I can assure you of that. I can absolutely assure you that you will be standing. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know what else to say. I can talk to you about it sometime personally if you want to know my, my story, but I can, <laughs> I can just promise you, like, if anything has ever been made real to me in my walk with Christ, it is that he will not fail you. And in the moment, you may feel like he forsake, forsook you. You may, is that even a word? He may have forsaken you. You may feel that he's not listening to you. You may be yelling at him down on your knees. But I promise at the end of it, he is right there and he was there the whole time. But there's some things that we need to go through in order to get to where he wants us to be. And he understood that all along. And that's why, you know, he always prepares us with the scripture is filled with Jesus saying, like, suffering is going to be expected. Like, pick up your cross and follow me. Like, there's going to be some hard things. They will persecute you for my sake. Like, he wasn't lying to us. But he also knew that the end result is so much better than all of these things. And you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know why it's so hard for me to, to be open and inviting to people about my faith sometimes. Um, you would think that it's a lot harder to sell your snake oils to your neighbor. Um, <laughs> but it's not. And I think it's because... The snake oils isn't changing anyone's life. It's just, maybe it does help. Maybe it's just a placebo effect, but it's just temporary. It's just a little fix that you can control. Oh, I'm hurting. Let me put this on for a little bit. Oh, it makes me feel better right now. I'm hurting again. Let's go back to it. Like, it's just a temporary Band-Aid. Jesus is wanting us to rip the Band-Aid off and confront people with the truth um, that's going to set them free. The Bible tells us that when we acknowledge 
um, what it means to follow Christ. Um, we don't have to rely on the placebo effect um, to add to our number because there will be a real-world, visible, and tangible change. Acts 2, 42-47 describes um, the early church like this. It says, All of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together, ate at the temple, each uh, at, worshiped together at the temple each day. Met in homes for the Lord's supper, and shared their meals with a great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You know, and I think as Christians, something that we do is we decide we're just going to get comfortable and you know we see the way that the early church was living and and we try to pawn that off on governments and politics to solve um, these problems for us but that's not what jesus came to do Uh, if jesus wanted to get involved in politics he would have declared himself king of the earth right then and there and overthrew all the governments Um, but he wasn't he wasn't interested in it and i think um, it's so easy for us to shirk our responsibilities as believers and and and, you know, oh, the government will take care of that, or, you know, somebody else will take care of that. Um, but that's not, that's not what we see happening. We just see this organic thing springing up and, and just people doing this uh, as prompted by the Holy Spirit. And the reason they're willing to do this is because this change only happens when we die to ourselves. As long as we try to remain in the driver's seat of our own life, there's no room for Jesus. There's no room for the Holy Spirit. If we try to remain in control of everything, and that's why we love politics, because we feel like we're making a change. We're having an impact. How's that working out for you? How's it working out? Clearly not good. Um, But when we die to ourselves and truly live in a way that we're following Christ up that hill to die. We are changed, and because of that, the people closest to us are changed. It's not about, you know, when you become a Christian and you're like, I'm going to go and save as many people as I can and tell them all these things about Jesus, and that's all well and good, but the biggest impact you're going to have on anybody is just simply just following Christ and telling people, why it is that you're acting so differently, why it is that you seem to be changed, why it is that your wife just left you, but you got a smile on your face and it's not bothering you, why it is that you lost your job, but you still got hope, why it is that, you know, you're having to sleep on your pastor's couch because you don't have any place to live and you're still happy. That's what it looks like. Um, And that is what changes other people's lives. When we die to ourselves, we become more generous, we become engaged in community, and we become worshipful and joyous. And this is attractive, especially in a world where depression amongst those in the West is at an all-time high. And I think a big reason why we're all so depressed is because we're so comfortable all the time. 
We're not meant to be this comfortable. We're not meant to not experience any kind of inconvenience and pain. We're not meant to have every minute of every single day completely tailor-made to our wants and our desires and our whims because all we're doing is making ourselves the God of our life and trying to worship ourselves and, and bend everyone else to praise me. Do this for me. Alexa, when I walk into the house, I want you to turn this light on, set the air conditioner to this, do all of these things. I don't want to see other people's opinions on social media. I'm going to tailor make my timeline to exactly what I want to see and live in my echo chamber. I don't want to, it goes on and on. Our modern life is entirely constructed as if we are God. Um, but the, <laughs> another funny thing is that God experienced pain. And for some reason, we think we're exempt from that. So what does this all mean for us at Village Heights? Um, well, if you've been coming for any amount of time, if you haven't, uh, this may be your first time hearing it, but our mission is faith-compelling love, love-compelling faith. And, and what that means is that we're going to respond to our faith through love, and because of that love, others will be compelled to faith. And so what does this look like? Well, first, we must recognize that everyone is welcome. And I mean everyone. Anybody who wants to can walk through those doors. Revelation twenty-two seventeen says this, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears this say, Come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. And so this passage is, is literally saying that the Holy Spirit and the church are telling people to come. That's our, one of our biggest jobs. Open the door. Let people come. Go to them if you have to. This passage is saying that the church is just beckoning people. Anyone who hears the call, anyone who thirsts, come and be transformed. Now that's the key, and we'll get into that later, but... When the Bible says something three times, in this passage it says anyone, anyone, anyone three times, you know that they mean anyone. Like there's no, what about this person? Well, they've got blue hair or they've got their nose pierced. They shouldn't come here. It literally says anyone. I don't know who is exempt from anyone. If you are, please let me know, and I would like to understand how that's possible. Um, and then can, goes on in John 4, 28 through 30 the story of the woman at the well um, says this. It says, The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Sorry, I've got to wipe my nose. Um, and this is the crux of it all because in this story, Jesus happens upon this woman at the well and um, he tells her, you know, woman, I tell you that whoever drinks of my water will never thirst again, but have, um, you know, have their thirst quenched for eternity. And, you know, he, she, he asks her a question, a trick question and uh, about her husband. And she says, oh, I don't have a husband. And he says, I know. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now isn't even your husband. And to me, in 2023, I'm like, man, that's like harsh, like, who can speak a truth like that to somebody and then have them go off and tell all of their friends and family about what they were just told? Like, that boggles the mind, but Jesus understood that the truth 
cuts through the noise. And, you know, this woman, for whatever reason, was just open to hearing the truth. Um, and so while everyone is welcome, not everyone is exempt from hearing the truth um, because the truth is what changes you. Um, the truth is that we have to die to ourselves. The truth is that Jesus said there's things that we can and can't do. The truth is that, you know, in order to, to follow Christ, we actually have to follow him. We're going to have to suffer. We're, no one's exempt. Um, that's what it means to be a Christian. And anything otherwise is just a lie. You're just kidding yourself. I think that, especially today, we're so afraid of offending anybody. But I, when I think about the most impactful conversations I've ever had with anyone closest to me, it's when I was able to put the junk aside and just cut to the chase and tell them the truth. Um, and they thanked me for it afterwards because sometimes we don't see our own mess. I'm thankful for everyone who's been willing to tell me a hard truth a time or two because I think I'm the greatest. And you think that about yourself too. We all think we're the main character in some video game and everyone else is just, exists. You know, we're... we're that's the way we live our life, and maybe you don't like to admit that, but it is. It's okay to acknowledge that, um, but we need to hear the truth because the truth, as Jesus, as they say, is, is, is the truth will set you free from, from all evil and wickedness and um, everything. So secondly, we must recognize that everyone is needed. 1 Corinthians 12 in <clears throat> verse 4 through 6, it says, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. And then in 21 through 22, it says, The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. I think a perfect illustration of this is our action groups right now. Um, whenever I showed up to the workday, it was just cool to see that, you know, we had a plan of what we were going to do. Joe knows how to weld, so he was going to be welding. Um, what did I write down? Brandon, he knows how to lay tile, so he was laying the tile. I knew how to hold my hands above my head, so I was installing uh, ceiling tiles. Bill and Tim knew how to cut ceiling tiles, so they were cutting the ceiling tile. Like, everybody was doing something, and, you know, me installing ceiling tiles may not seem like it's doing much, but in the grand scheme of things, when this is all done, it's going to be beautiful and amazing. Um, and that's the way the church is. Maybe you feel like, I'm only good at holding my hands up above my head. Great. We've got a job for you. God can use that um, because our skills and abilities don't come from ourselves. They come from God. So obviously, he has a reason that he's given that to you in the first place. And Sunday mornings, I think, are kind of a perfect example. You know, I, I often think, like, what would happen if no one just showed up to unload the trailer? What would happen if no one volunteered to make the coffee? How cranky would some of you be if I didn't make the coffee? <laughs> what would happen if nobody volunteered to set up the lobby, if no one volunteered to run the slides, if no one volunteered to greet you when you first walked in the door? 
it would feel dead. It would just feel be weird, right? Um, it's because the beauty of Christianity is that, yes, Jesus performed the miracle. He saved us. He, he died on the cross and made a way for us back to him. But he also chose us to participate in that, to help bring that message and help others find a relationship with him. But how can we be the hands and feet of Christ if we never get up and walk, if we never use our hands to serve? We have to, exactly, we can't. We have to participate, and that's something I'm so thankful for about this church. And um, like This is a beautiful, amazing place. Um, this isn't, well, I don't want to say it isn't. Maybe one day, God will bring some crazy explosive growth and Village Heights will, will hit a thousand people. Um, but I think the reason that it's not is because the people here are willing to do the work. The people here really mean it when they say, I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow you. Yeah. And for, just truth be told, the vast majority of people who say that they're a Christian, they're out on that. They just want to come, be told that they're doing good, leave out the door, check their box, and move on. That's why they go to larger churches where they can hide in the numbers. And that's the beauty about this place is because we mean what we say. And we say what we mean. And we are going to put our hands to work. We're going to put our feet to walking. And we're going to see this neighborhood change. We're going to see the city change. And trust me, other people see it. We've get, gotten opportunities as a church that we should never have gotten. But it's because the few were willing to lay down the foundation put in the hard work, and make a major impact. So the last thing is that we must recognize and accept that we are called to be transformed. We are called to be changed. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 1 Samuel 10.6 says, At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Now, there's this old churchy cliche saying that Jesus loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Like, it's the truth. Jesus does love you as you are, but he has something better for you. He has a higher way. He has a better way. He has the truth. He is the life. Like anything outside of that isn't truth and isn't life. Um, and that's just the way that it is. And God may not take away our pain and suffering. God may not take away our temptations. But what he does do is give us the tools and the strength to overcome. What he does do is give you joy in the middle of it that confounds everyone. And I can promise you that. I can't promise a lot of things, but I will put my name on that, everything that I am, that he will be there with you during all of it. And he will help you and he will see you changed. And so maybe you struggle with lust. God may not take it away. 
but he's given you a higher way of being faithful to your spouse. He's shown you what that looks like by dying for us, his bride, laying down his life, laying down his, his own human desires, whatever they may have been. Maybe you struggle with anger. God may not take it away, but he's shown you how to love by laying down his life at the hands of those who persecute him. Maybe you struggle with addiction. God may never take that temptation away from you, but he's also shown you how to fast and how to pray. And he's promised you that great things come from doing that. God calls us to die to ourselves, but the beautiful thing about it all is that he's already died for us. He's already died for us. And so oftentimes we get so caught up in our missteps and, and our shortcomings as if Jesus didn't know that before he walked up and laid down his life on that cross. He knew everything you were going to do and he still died. And that blows me away every time I think about it. Like, he knows everything I've ever done and everything I ever will do and he still let himself be put to the most agonizing, horrible death imaginable at the time for that. And that should encourage you. You know, knowing that we may never be able to overcome these things on this side of the grave is the reason that he died in the first place. God realized wow, we are, we are too broken now. Sin has corrupted us too much. So he took it upon himself. For all sins, past, present, and future. For all of your struggles, past, present, and future. For all the things that you think are just a personality quirk. For all the things that you think you'll never be able to get over. For all of the things that make you mad. For whatever. He knows all that. He died for that. He bled for that. He was beat for that. So how do we become changed? And how do others become changed? How do we build the firm foundation for others to stand on? It's every single day dying to ourselves. It's every single day picking up that cross, following Jesus up the hill, and along the way, inviting those around us to join us on that journey. Because people will notice. I can promise you that. They'll want to know, how are you doing it? Seems like things are pretty crap. <laughs> but you're acting like it's not, so I want to know what the heck is going on. Um, and then there's your gateway. There's the number. There's the person standing on your shoulders, and that's going to impact their life, and on and on and on, and that's why the church is still here 2,000 years later. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for inviting us to participate in your, um, your mission of salvation, God. Thank you that not only do you love us enough to save us, but you loved us enough to include us. We could just 
you know, you could have just let us sit on the sidelines and let you do all of the work. But you've invited us and called us your body, Lord. You've given us a purpose. You've given us a mission. You've given us something to do to make this world a better place. Father, I just want to thank you for this church. Thank you for Village Heights. I thank you for all the people who have ever called this place home and all the people who will call this place home in the future. I just pray that you bless them, Lord, the way that they've blessed me. In your holy name we pray. Amen.